Welcome to the Broken Pie Chart Podcast, episode 148. I'm your host, Eric Moore. And this week, back on the uh, the podcast after a, a two-week hiatus is my semi-permanent co-host, Jay Pestercelli. Jay, how are you doing today? Good, Derek. Good, Derek. As always, glad to be back. Love the podcast. Yeah. Well, I, I was getting a little jealous. You're, you're doing CNBC and Cheddar TV and I said, I hope you have time for us, uh, this little people here on the, the Broken Pie Chart podcast. Always, always have time. Always have time. We can really dig deep on the podcast where they give you, you know, 90-second clips to explain your entire investment philosophy <laughs> to the public, right? So this is great. Yeah, we could do a whole separate podcast about going on TV and and, and all that stuff. Uh, I will mention well, for the listeners. quite the experience there, Derek, right? You've done a lot of media as well. Yeah. And, and, and I, you know, here's a little inside baseball. I think it's interesting with the, uh, you know, yet usually if you're doing a remote, you have the IVR in your ear, in your ear and you can't see. And if there are other people talking, you know how difficult that is. But you were saying with, with Skype, it's actually a, a little bit different where you can see the people and, you know, so that's a little different medium, right? Uh, yeah, no, it's very different, right? Pre-COVID, it was in studio or you're right, you just had to stare at a camera and you had a light in your face and that was it. Now you get to see who's on the other side. You get to see the the graphics that they put up on the on the screen and you're doing everything out of your home office or from your work office, either one. And so it is very different. And, and I even offered, hey, I'll come to the studio. They're like, yeah, no, nah, we don't want people in the studio. They're, they're really enjoying the Skype. Uh, Skype is the preferred app that they use. Props to Microsoft there, but uh, it, it's it's definitely interesting how that uh, that channel is migrated. And I think their producers are separate from the people in studio. I think they're all over the place. It's just a little different world. Yeah, no, I agree. And it's you know the in studio thing, obviously with COVID. I mean, what is it? Isn't it Kramer and then uh, Carl Kentnia? Didn't they say was it yesterday? They're both remote now because because they have COVID. And um, David Faber yeah, they- was in studio because he was traveling, right? Yep. Yep. Yeah. They are, uh, they're remote. Yeah. I think Kramer's got, uh, Kramer's got COVID right now. Like that's what he was talking about, but he's doing the show from home. It sounds like he feels fine. seems like that's the, uh, that's the spiel these days for most people. I I'll, you know, I'll add that, um, you know, the, the, well, the media experience has definitely changed. You get a lot more, I, I'm going to say clowns. That's probably not fair to say, but you get a lot more oopsies, when you're doing it remotely. Like I had my internet crash on me, you know, two minutes before I went onto a Fox spot and I had to quick launch Skype from my phone, right? So you've got stuff like that that happens. So sometimes people have a bad microphone, bad lighting. Like it just, the quality of the interviews starts to get a little distracting versus what it used to be in studio. Yeah, I'd agree. I think the last time I did it in studio, obviously they have the lighting. I mean, you, you, you know how it goes when you show up. You show up and uh, depending upon who else is a guest on on whatever it is you're going to be on. Last time I was on, I think the, one of the news channels, and uh, my segment was last. So you know they have all sorts of people going first. But you have a producer and and you have a mic person, a technician. They they check things. So yeah, it it be <laughs> they they try not to let you fail. But I mean, think about everyone at home. I mean, it's like all right, you got to do lighting and and the camera and the mic all yourself. So. Yeah, like you're doing your own stuff. I, I will tell you the best one of all the studios I've gone to by far is Bloomberg, by far. So Bloomberg actually has like a salon in the building where like you go, they'll fix your hair, they'll do your makeup, right? They do everything for you. Uh, they got a great green room. Bloomberg is definitely, if I had to pick any place, you know, from the facility perspective, Bloomberg is definitely the best. I will tell you, uh, because I, I don't have hair and I shave my head I, and if I didn't shave my head, I was still not half hair except for, you know, certainly not on top. But I do remember last time I was in, you know, you, I sat down in, in the makeup chair and they did makeup and the woman said, oh, I, I'm going to be quick, get to be quick with you because I don't have to do hair. So yeah, they just did makeup. Did, didn't they have to put like the no shine all over your head, right? Oh, they did. <laughs> yeah, they did. But I don't, I don't really sweat. No. So the, here's the thing on even when, you know, now they use led lights a lot, but in the old days it was really hot lights. I never really sweat too much. So that's the thing. If you sweat, they got to come up on, on like a commercial break or, or before you go on and, and sort of blot your, your head with, uh, you know, this powder. But anyway, so we'll, maybe that's another podcast altogether. Uh, certainly not 
not one we'll be involved in on on makeup tips for for TV, but right, uh, right. There's do- probably a whole different <laughs> podcast for that. <laughs> All right, so hopefully the uh, the three people still listening are still with us. Is we're going to talk about predictions for 2022. Yes, and uh, and by the way, just to, if you're listening to this and you listened to last week's, I started last week's show saying it was episode 148. It was 147. So. I sort of open the show the same, but I never do edits on these, so I just left it in. So if you're listening, count uh, counting is row, usually your strong suit, Derek. Like count, you could yeah, count. you're good with the math stuff. I was, I, I don't know why I was, I was, uh, I was thinking which one it is, but we'll, we're going to go over predictions, and I say predictions loosely because you and I have both said time and time again we don't trade the markets, we don't invest money for people, we don't run portfolios based upon making guesses or making predictions about market direction for, you know, for, by and large, we get invested, we hedge, we think that's the way to do it. And we truly, we don't know when the best days, the worst days are going to be, but over the long you know, term, if you can pr- get a buffer in a portfolio or put a floor under a portfolio, it does take a lot of the guesswork and, and the timing out. But we do talk about the markets and we did something this year where uh, you and I and then some some members of the investment committee just threw together some predictions. And I would say that uh, you shouldn't trade off these. Nobody should trade off these, not even us. But, Definitely uh, not. <laughs> but I, it's just, I think it would be helpful, you know, just c- to kind of go through the way we think about things and the way we read things and the information that we use to sort of come up with an output. And so that that's what we're doing. So uh, when we say predictions, it's not you know a recommendation by any means. But Jay, I'll I'll sort of start with you, and maybe um, which, which one do you want to start with? Do you want to do the market first? Do you want do you want to go there? Well, I think that's one everybody wants to hear about first, right? What what do you guys think the stock market's going to do? That's probably the first one. All right, Jay. And so so go yeah, go ahead. Let let's start I'll, there and I'll, let I'll you kick run. it in. Well, I first off, uh, you know, you've said this time and time again, Derek, is, you know, we could make bold headline grabbing predictions, right? We could talk about a 50% sell off around the corner, but that's not what we are, right? We think using, you know, maybe a more measured approach, maybe even a boring approach when it comes to this kind of uh, uh, forecasting, predicting uh, is, is probably more prudent, right? We're not trying to create excitement in your portfolios and trying to get fast moving money bouncing around between different uh, one-off thoughts, right? We are more of a, I'll say, a, a, an even measured hand when it comes to this type of stuff. So for when I take a look at where the stock market is going to go, you know, next year, we I think topping out in the 5,000 range on the S&P 500, which is about, I don't know, 12% up from 10, 12% up from where we are today. Uh, I'll let you give your number in a moment, Derek. Uh, but what I would say is on average, this is kind of slightly below where the team is coming in. But me, I'm in the, that that 5,000 range. Yeah, let me see where I was. I <laughs> here, I'm, here I'm thinking I was a lot different. I was 5,020 is what I, what I had. Now, this is the year end. So it's not to say it can't go higher or, or lower from there. And you're right, Jay. I mean... I won't name anybody, but if, if you look at, like, let's say Yahoo, and you look at some crazy predictions, you know, maybe it's doom and gloom and, and you know, we're going to crash 75, 80%. And then you use that person's name and you go to Google and you change the years, you change it to, let's say, 2015 or 2016 or 2017. A lot of them were making the same predictions and they never came true. So that's right. I mean, if you want to make a crazy prediction and if it happens then you write a book about it. I was going to add here, Derek, you know, when we put this this together, it was about what, about a week, two weeks ago, right? Yeah. Maybe some, <laughs> the market was down 5% for then from where it is today. So believe it or not, you and I are actually about halfway already to our end of 2022 predictions based off when we put this together in early December. Oh, that's right. That's a good point. Yeah. We may need to revise these up a little bit, right? Because we're going for, you know, Jan to December kind of a number. So they may need a little revision on this. But that's, anyway, just thought I'd clarify because I said 10 to 12%. And that's where it was at the time we made the predictions. Yeah, I think I think I was around the uh, same, that 11 to 12%. Now, I went back and uh, we've talked about this before, looking at data from 1928 forward. And 
you know, the average, just the average, not the compounded annual growth rate, uh, but the average annual return is about 11.64%. So I'm kind of like, you know, there's a 50% probability that that's what we would get. And I think in general, I mean, and we'll get into corporate profits, but um, there's a couple things here. I mean, corporate profits have been good. Net margins have been good. Uh, but Jay, I mean, my answer is not really a, a, a groundbreaking answer. It's, you know what, I think we'll get the average next year. But I think both of us are constructively bullish on the market, right? Fair enough. Yep. Actually, everybody on our investment committee was bullish, some more than others. Yep. I, I would agree. It's, by the way, I don't know if you've seen now, now the, some of the ones that I've seen that have come out, I think it was Vanguard. Uh, I'm pretty sure it was Vanguard, and they released sort of their their average annualized returns for bonds and for stocks. Uh, what what they will average over the next ten years, and I don't think it's just Vanguard. There are some some firms out there who are predicting you know much lower, like maybe four percent annualized growth rates, uh, and that that's different than just 2022. But I feel like the markets have over outperformed. You know, I've seen those types of predictions before. I don't know if you've seen noticed that as well, Jay. Yeah, no, I have, and uh, but but I think I think we're in a different environment today, which will lead me maybe to the next top next uh, data point we could talk about. You and I both believe a lot of the drivers of uh, where the market is right now and where we think it will go is earnings per share, right? And I think so. We're in a little different world from the historical predictions. You know, we've got the low interest rate environment. We've got higher corporate profits. And so, you know, maybe we rotate to that uh, to that one next, Eric. Yeah, I think that's a good spot to, to go to. And I, you know, after we talk about corporate profits, I think we want to, I want to get into sort of the COVID relationship and then maybe historically what's happened out of those time periods. But corporate profits, we look at those on a per share basis. So just like there's earnings per share on a stock, there's earnings per share on the S&P 500. So, Jay, I'll, uh, you can start again on this one, too. So what's your... Yeah, I, I came in at the, the the high end of the bunch. By the way, I think it was episode 145, Derek, we talked about earnings per share on the S&P, what that uh, dollar amount made. Look at yep. me, I'm, I'm referencing back your your episodes. I'm Smart. I feel Smart. like I'm really becoming part of the team here. Well, you you are you are you you've uh, I think you committed to uh, forty weeks next year, right, Jay? Is that right? Forty weeks minimum contractually. <laughs> uh, so, look for me. I end up coming on the high side, right? I think uh, with inflation, it's going to push corporate earnings. It seems to me uh, companies have had a lot of pricing power, and I come in at the high end at two fifty per share on that, or you know, on earnings on the S and P. You're a little lower. I am lower. And I think I think uh, I'll tell you mine is two thirty one on on the S and P, and let's let's kind of break that down a little bit. And and actually, uh, do I have it handy? Yeah, I do. I just want to give what the street estimates are for twenty twenty two. I'm just pulling this up. I think I have it handy. Yeah. So I think the street estimate. So when I say street estimate, it means, you know, taking a, a, all the analysts that are covering the S&P and, you know, I think it's 222.85. So I'm pretty much, um, am I? Yeah. And you're still above no, the street. By next year, five yeah, percent. I'm above the street. And I will say that those estimates are revised all the time. And, and Jay, one of the things we've seen is the EPS estimates keep getting raised. And historically... They don't always get raised. A lot of times they get lowered. But I mean, we you said it on uh, on both CNBC and Cheddar TV that earnings have been beating the estimates, right? They continue to beat the analyst estimates. Yeah. I mean, all year we've seen that. I mean, last quarter, wow, you know, very strong when it came to return, uh, earnings. So yeah, I, that is part of the reason why I think you and I are above uh, where the analysts are. Uh, and I, you know, I... Like I said, I think inflation is going to help push us to kind of ranges that, you know, no one's really thinking about. The other thing, too, is so your estimate computes, uh, imputes, imputes, I think is the word. And you know where I'm going with this, uh, a 20 PE. So that would be a trailing at the end of the year. 
uh, full year 2022, if if the market's at 5,000 and EPS is at 250, you would be at a trailing 12 months, 20 PEJ. So probably a little above the, what is it, the 16 average? Is that right? I'd have to double check that. Uh, yep, yep. And it's actually a little lower than where we're tracking even today, though. Right, because forwards are, what are we, 21, 22 on a forward basis yep. right now? In that range. Yep, exactly. And so what what that would mean is uh, you would see, I'm trying to think from a multiple standpoint, whether multiples would expand or whether, no, I, I think EPS would drive most of the, the change in the market, right? Yeah, it would be another mul- a year of multiple contraction like this year. I know we've talked about that in the past where uh, EPS was driving more of the growth. Now, I think you, you're coming in at about a 21 PE closer to where we are trading right now, right? So you're slightly higher on the, the S&P, but a little uh, less than I am on the EPS number. So you're coming in at the 21 EPS, uh, uh, sorry, price to earnings ratio. I'm coming in at a 20. You know, there's, I guess we could kind of dig into that a little bit, but, uh, you know, why don't you pick up why that's an important number to a lot of fundamental uh, investors? Yeah, I mean, this gets back to valuation. So historically, there's there's two things you hear quoted on TV. Number one is, you know, we're trading at a, a forward something X PE, meaning the analyst expectations over the next uh, four quarters and what's the price of a stock or an index right now. And the idea is the the higher the multiple, the higher uh, investors are placing, you know, on a, on a value basis. And so what happens is people come in, they say, okay, the market's overvalued because it's trading it so many times uh, next year's earnings or, or forward, you know, one year earnings. And people try and, you know, time the market a little bit on that. And so when, and then you also have the CAPE ratio, which is, is Schiller's ratio where they look at 10 years and they do some averages and, um, and things like that. But I, I think that is it's important, and 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 also you you mentioned the multiple versus um, whether it's earnings. And I did a, a show last week, Jay. I'm sorry you missed that one, uh, but if people want to listen to that, where I actually deconstructed all of this, so I'll, you know we'll, we'll kind of go over it a little bit uh, quicker. But you could have price go higher and earnings stay the same, or you could have price go higher and earnings go higher. And so, you know, I don't know about you, Jay, but I feel like we could be trading at a higher multiple for longer. We'll get into interest rates and, you know, I'm, I'm sort of lower for longer there, but I kind of feel like higher multiple for longer. What, what do you say? Absolutely. Couldn't, couldn't, couldn't agree with you more. For those uh, fundamental analysts that'll say the market's historically expensive, you know, I would reply to them, yeah, uh, you know, interest rates are historically low. You, they're, they're not in a vacuum. You can't take uh, earnings per share in a vacuum because of uh, you need to look at the entire environment. And so even though everyone said the market is expensive and there's been a little contraction in the multiple, earnings continue to push the market higher. I don't think anybody sees a slowdown in that. I mean, that is what the whole, you know, the fear days that we've had when the market goes down on, on let's say, COVID fears, for example, is, oh, maybe the market economy won't be as strong. But I'm with you, Derek. We should expect a higher uh, uh, multiple, a higher PE ratio uh, in today's environment than what has been used as kind of the historical average. I think that transitions to you know a point I was going to bring up. And you and I read a lot of stuff. We watch a lot of stuff. And um, I've been... We said before, I mean, we, we don't get into the COVID thing on the humanitarian side or uh, neither of us is a virologist or a doctor, uh, although I, I have watched ER, as I have joked about in the past. But, you know, I looked at the 1918 pandemic and I sort of traced the time it was a problem. And then I looked at the retracement of the market and then what markets did afterwards. And what you find is, I, I think, and, and this is a uh, some research I did, it looks like around February of uh, 1918 is sort of when this all kicks off. And by April of uh, 1920, it pretty much burned itself out. There was this last spike in New York City, but uh, after that. And this started, I mean, you know, February, March, but let's call it, you know, around February of March. 
I'm not talking about, you know, theoretically when the first cases were. So if, if you trace that time frame of the 18 pandemic over the, the 2020, the, the current one, that says around May 1st. So I don't know if that's a, a hopeful thing. Maybe this thing, you know, because the other one, I guess, wound up degrading, you know, how it mutated and then it wound up being just, you know, more of a common flu. It'd be great news if, if this sort of gets down to the fact that people get it and it's just, you know, kind of like having the flu. But what's interesting, Jay, is that uh, the market only retraced 10%. And I'm talking about the Dow Jones I looked at. We retraced 37% in February and March. But after the pandemic wrapped up, you had a massive bull market from, you know, that didn't end until 1929. That's a whole different story about what happened then. So I don't know, Jay. I mean, is is this a, a situation where if this can, you know, sort of get behind us, we see an explosion in the, in, in the markets again? And I'm not giving a buy signal at all, but I just think it's interesting to look at the past. Yeah, look, I, I think it's interesting. I think the markets have evolved quite a bit in the last hundred years, Derek. I think the speed of markets uh, is something that uh, would accelerate any of that. I, I feel we've probably already seen some of that recovery. Uh, uh, if we're going to use the pattern that we're going to follow, I think we've seen a lot of that in the markets already. Um, it, it is interesting, uh, you know, during that period um, to think about where rates were as well, right? And I think you have a little uh, insight there. To me, the, the 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 market recovery it'd be great if we followed that pattern of the years following the last pandemic. Uh, but again, like I said, I. I think this is a good one for us to, uh, for me at least, to take with a little bit of salt, just because of the, you know, the different, you know, mechanics of today's market versus say a hundred years ago. I mean, it was the quickest uh, trough back over the prior peak we've ever seen in a recession, right? I think it was. that's it was yeah yep yep. I mean, it's still. Yeah. I mean. Just thinking back, and, and that seems like 10 years ago, but that was only less than two years ago that that, that all happened. So, yeah, I think you're right, Jay. I mean, the, the speed of it. And then, of course, the Fed, the Fed coming in and, I mean, buying, buying corporate bonds and, you know, buying ETFs and putting interest rates at zero. And, and you know, that's the other thing, too. I was watching a a, a podcast from some of the, the CNBC crew, and Tom Lee was on there. Tom Lee is a frequent guest on CNBC. You know, one of your fellow, uh, you know, CNBC contributors. Actually, that I don't want to be. I have to be factual. I guess a contributor is a specific thing, but you're a guest on there. There you go. But he, yeah, but he, uh, but he said he had this chart, and basically what he said was when you have negative real rates, so that is uh, the ten-year Treasury uh, rate minus CPI, and I think you use core CPI, when that's negative, stocks do really well. And we're actually in a, you know, in a negative period now. And there were other factors, Jay, but I mean, um, the market did really well up to that 1929. That was a period of negative real rates. Um, you know, you're talking about the early, early 20s, late teens. Uh, after 1941, so you had World War One, World War Two, and those are the last times you had these extended periods of negative real rates. And we have it now. And I don't know, Jay. I mean, I just thought it was, he brought it up and I said, that's interesting. So I, I figured I'd bring it up. But negative real rates, you know. Uh, what are you going to do in this situation, right? Invest in, in a vehicle that you know is going to yield you a negative return for the next 10 years. It's just, it's not the way the average investor uh, is going to invest because they need growth, right? So I, I mean, I know we've talked about it. And we always say interest rates are one of the things that drives you know the market. It's because of that. When you can't get paid for the risk you're taking in the in the bond market, you've got no choice but to put money into the stock market. And so I think it makes a ton of sense. I think it's the thing that's driven the market uh, as high as it's gone. I think it's the thing that pushes us to new highs going forward. Right? There is no alternative. Uh, and so you have to go into stocks, right? And so that's to, I, you know, look, 
this is uh, I, I've you know probably beat this drum way too off way too much. But when I think about you know logistically what makes common sense. By the way, common sense does not always work in the markets. I can give a lot of examples where common sense didn't pan out. But in this scenario, you know, guys like you and I, advisors that are forced to help our clients meet their financial goals, we can't deliver on our job by putting people into treasuries, right? There may be one or two pieces in the fixed income category that we could use. And we'll probably talk about that a little later. But in general, investment grade bonds, treasuries, the safe, the, what we consider the safe harbor assets of the fixed income market. You can't put anybody in there that needs to deliver growth. You just can't. Yeah, no, I, I think that's right. And, uh, you know, before I transition, because I, I do want to go to fixed income next, uh, but a, a thought came in. I, came into my head that I thought I'd bring up, you know, this, this pandemic has brought forward a lot of, um, I'll say productivity gains, tech, technological gains. You start out talking about how you didn't have to fly to, uh, to New York and go to the studio for CNBC or cheddar. You know, they're, they're both in lower Manhattan. Uh, you know, the exchanges. Sure. sure. Right, right, right. Uh, I mean, both of them. We, we've definitely drawn forward some technical advancements. I mean, this is nothing new, right? We're not saying something shocking. The world <laughs> has been saying this no. for over a year, right? But I, I think you're right. I think it's improved productivity. And I think it's also, uh, you know, just changed the way your dollars get spent as you're you know, running a business or, or any kind of corporate expenditure. It's just changed where the dollars have moved. Jay, there's a, uh, there's a book too that uh, I read a couple of years ago, it's called Technological Revolutions in Financial Capital and Dynamics of Bubbles and, and Golden Ages. And that book cover, it, it's kind of interesting. And, and it's, it's a thriller, right? It's a, it's a dramatic thriller. Have you read it? No, I have not. Just no, it, well, you should. You should. No, but it, it's really, it was written, I think, in the early 2000s. But, uh, but the book is all about this whole idea of um, when you have these technological revolutions, it's, uh, you know, the early companies, there's a, you know, the standards aren't set. Like you think about the internet, like all these companies did different stuff, but those aren't necessarily the people who are around, but the technology gets adopted and it's, it's sort of the, the older line companies that benefit like Domino's benefits from, from the internet and having an app and cloud computing and all that stuff. They're a pizza company. So it, it made me think, of, I'll put it in the show notes, um, but it's the idea of, when you have these technological advances, sort of who provides those and the winners and losers, you know, come and go and there's some people who blow up, but it's um, all these companies get to benefit from that and that can sort of issue issue in this new age. But uh, yeah, I'll, I'll put it in the show notes, Jay, if you haven't, uh, if you haven't read it, but. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, there's, 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 uh, you know, Nobel Prize winners that, that have, prize winners that have, spoken about this topic specifically, right? And so this is just one of those things as we advance, uh, you know, you just see a, a shift there and you're trying to make, you know, your workforce as productive as possible. It is not a new story. It's an old, old story. Hey, let's, I think we should probably, we're at the 28 minute mark, man. Let's, let's get into the rest of these. We've got more to do. Well, let me, so what's, what's going to happen with rates? Let's go right there. Yeah, let's go right there. You and I are definitely on different spectrums. I'm on the high end. I've got us hitting maybe two and a half percent uh, where we end the year on the 10-year, which is fairly high. And I think we actually peak out at even three and a half um, and maybe have a low of one and a half. So I'm this plus or minus 1% on the 10-year with two and a half being kind of the end of year number. Yeah, you, you're higher than me. I have high of 1.7. We're talking about the 10-year treasury rate. I have 1.7, low of 1.28%, and end of year 1.47%. Is that literally like where we are today? I'd, I'd have to check, but... I, I think uh, that I'll look it's, right it's now. It's one, yeah, 1.45 is where we are. <laughs> I, actually, I'm looking at one point. Oh yeah, right, 1.457. So we're you're right there. You're right there. Yeah. So it's sort of the uh, yeah. Look, I mean, I'm I'm lower for longer. I've, I I've I've been on low rates for a long time, and I actually think we could see low rates for much longer than people think. My thesis here is number one is. There's, there's a lot of demand for treasuries. The spread between, let's say, what German bonds are, lead, are yielding and some of the other countries' debt. And, you know, it's, uh, I could see a case where 
the Fed, you know, we have inflation, but the Fed keeps rates relatively low. Um, but but you're higher. I mean, I I think you're anticipating due to some Federal Reserve moves, maybe the the rates have to trickle up, right? Yeah, that's that's it, right? I'm I'm following along with where uh, the Fed is expected to raise rates three times next year, uh, and and I'm also following along with kind of future growth, right? Rates tend to go a little higher as growth is, uh, uh, you know, as you can see, growth in the future. Um, but you've got some interesting dynamics on your side, Derek, which is I think why you know I think if I gave you two or three years, you'd probably press a little higher on this number. Um, but why you're more subdued, and actually, I think you're the lowest on the investment committee here. Why your, you know, your perspective about what's happened going into tapers and and uh, Fed raises, what's happened in the year that those have happened, uh, those have occurred. So maybe you want to expand a little on that, on why you're so low. Yeah, Jay. I mean, I think when you look at the past taper, and the big, the big one I'm talking about is you know the uh, the Ben Bernanke years, and rates rallied. Uh, in anticipation on the rumors that that the Fed would do some sort of tapering, and by tapering, of course, that means you know paring back their bond buys, maybe eventually selling off some bonds and, and reducing the balance sheet, and then raising rates. The hint of it, rates rose when they actually announced they would start to do it. I think it was what 2014 or so, uh, 2015 around there. I don't have the chart in front of me. Rates went down, and even after they they did their first raise of 25 basis points. Rates went down after that. So for me, I look at that. I also look at uh, what the Fed is, and I've talked about this uh, quite a bit, so I won't get into it. But the the overnight reverse repo market, um, they're over you know 1.5 trillion. The low low end. There's so much demand at those auctions for the the near duration treasuries. So I, I look at sort of the di- dynamics on that. You know, Jay, you've looked at that too, and you pointed out that the market has has pulled back, and you've had this slight to safety as one of the reasons why. And so I, you know, here I am, I'm, I'm net bullish on on next year, um, but yeah, I just I feel like the the dynamics below the surface are such that that uh, rates can remain low. Yeah, and actually, um, you, as you're talking about the Fed and the Fed having to take action. Maybe that can uh, lead us into our next uh, next point, which I think is the the obvious easy one, which is uh, inflation, right? Want to maybe we'll hit the the, the inflation projections because that seems to be a really a hot topic for everybody right now. Certainly in the media, uh, everyone wants to hear where is inflation going to be? Is this temporary? Is this transitory? Is it going to last for longer? You want to kind of walk us through the inflation number? Yeah, and everyone should grab a pen and paper because I'm going to give you the exact correct inflation rate for 2022. Here it is. Gra- grab your pen. No, I mean, I, I'm at 5.1 and uh, I, I think we'll see um, inflation remain elevated, but we're going to get start to get into an issue where it's denominator numerator type deal where the comparables, as you keep going back, as we have higher and higher prices, uh, it gets a little more difficult. But uh, yeah, I'm, I'm about 5.1 and I think you're lower, right? I mean, not much lower. You're the highest on the investment committee at five point one. I'm right behind you, or second place at four percent, uh, which I think lines up a little closer to my interest rate, uh, my ten year projection. But I do think it's interesting, Derek, that you're the highest on inflation, but lowest on the ten year. And I think that goes to that data you just talked about. That um, hey, look, you know, even though the Fed will be raising rates to fight inflation if they have to, um, that doesn't necessarily translate to what the market. Uh, actually ends up yield. But yep, we're, we're close. You and I are number one and two when it comes to inflation. We've, we've got one of our guys at 1%. He really sees a, a slowdown in inflation. And that's, you know, that's. Yeah, I think he's numerator denominator. Uh, is, yeah, is, yeah, is, yeah. Is, the other thing Listen, is. Large you know, numbers, it, right? It's it's harder to, to create yeah. that inflation once you've had this big increase that we're having in 2021. You know, the, the other thing too is, and this goes back to why I, I'm lower on rates. I'm not sure if raising rates will actually impact inflation. I think there's a lot of other, I mean, you made the, you know, we've had pandemics before in 19, but those are in 1918. Like, do we really know that rates being raised will curb inflation or is it all the supply chain stuff that you and I have been talking about? Is it, 
Well, well we've COVID? had inflation. Yeah. We've definitely had inflation, but you know, more recent than a hundred years ago. Obviously, I know you weren't insinuating that, but uh, it, it, you know, when you think about why the Fed raises rates, right? What are they trying to do? Right? Is usually it's to cool the economy a little bit, and one of the ways that uh, could the you know a reflection of a strong economy can be inflation. Now, it hasn't been for a long, long time that we've, you know, at least 20 or 25 years, right? So uh, that we haven't seen any kind of real inflation in the U.S. market. And so, you know, it's, it's, I think you're right when you, when you say it's hard to know, you know, what raising rates will actually do to this inflation that we have today, which is more and more becoming or becoming evident that it's a supply-driven inflation number, not a demand-driven inflation number. And those are different factors that that push inflation higher. Yeah. The other thing we haven't talked about is, uh, and, and I think Spencer and I will, will do a, a, a way too early election prediction show, maybe uh, in the first quarter of the year, but we got midterms coming up. And although the Fed is non-political, um, you, you never know behind the scenes what type of uh, you know pressure or influence that can have. Um, so I, I don't know. I don't know. But we, we do have midterms next year, which is actually something we didn't. I don't even know if we discussed that back when we did these predictions. I wasn't really thinking of it too much, but other people have brought it up, Jay. I don't know if you have any quick thoughts on that before we get the GDP or just take us to GDP. Well, uh, yeah, one quick thought is, you know, markets typically, you know, don't react uh, all that differently depending on who's in control of you know, the White House or Congress. And I know you've got a lot of data on that. I bet we will probably end up doing a whole podcast on that at some point. But yeah, my general gist of, uh, of, of, of the political environment is that the political environment doesn't impact markets all that much. It doesn't really matter who's in control of what, with the exception of the market seems to like it better when control is split, when one party doesn't have control of everything. And when you have more of a you know, an indecisive government body changing rules or not changing rules. The market seems to like it better when uh, when there's friction uh, in Washington. Yeah, yeah, I'll I'll save going through the uh, the numbers, but it, you know, it's safe to say whether we we looked at combinations. Uh, I'll call it triple R, triple D. You know, all Republican, all Democrat, and then mixes and matches. And uh, the occurrences, you know, some have don't happen too much, but. You know, I mean, generally the the markets are up uh, across the board. Um, so anyway, yeah, maybe we'll, maybe we'll do that on another show, Jay. But G- GDP, take us there. Yep, you got it. Uh, I come in uh, uh, relatively high on four percent GDP compared to the rest. Of, uh, maybe I'm in the middle, but I'm at a four percent GDP change uh, through Q3 of next year. It's going to take too long to wait for Q4. So, you know, from Q4 net, which is now through Q3 of next year, I'm at about a 4%. Yeah, you are. No, you weren't the highest. I think somebody was was four and a half. I'm at 2.9. And so, look, I mean, if we start to normalize, I say normalize, let, let's say I'm, I'm right. And COVID's done by May 1st and we just get back to... Um, you know, in general, though, if you look at the Obama years, the Trump years, and, and you go back even, you know, you'd have to go back to Clinton and Reagan to have the last time we were sort of, you know, averaging, let's say, three and a half percent or something over a longer time. I mean, there, there have been times when they've they've reached those uh, on one year. But so I don't know, Jay, I mean, 2.9 seemed like uh, a good place to be. And it goes back to numerator denominator. I mean, GDP has already accelerated. So to get incremental growth. Um, but I don't think your, your four is unreasonable. I, we could see more than that if, if this thing all ends. So uh, I don't think you're too far off. Yeah. I mean, if you get the, uh, your, your previous pandemic kind of growth, maybe it's driven by, uh, uh, you know, maybe GDP goes along with it. I think, but I think if it, maybe if I could, by the way, on GDP, I'll add one other point to it. Nobody on the investment committee said we were going to have a recession next year. Right, which we all know is two consecutive quarters of negative growth. Um, maybe we all don't know that, but uh, uh, now we do. Nobody thought there was going to be a recession next year. Even the folks with the uh, the lowest GDP prediction still don't have us with negative growth for two consecutive quarters. So I, I, I thought I'd add that one in there. 
we don't think we have to expand too much more on that. But back to your point, right? For me, I line up, and, and while even my stock market level is a little lower than yours, I think I end up being a lot more bullish when it comes to GDP, when it comes to things like inflation in the tenure, uh, but and and certainly earnings, right? So to me, it's they all kind of line up a little bit. Um, for you, I think you've got a little bit more of a mix there, probably more measured as we started out the conversation on where things are going to go. Um, I, I and so uh, I, you know, if I if I could just slightly touch on something you started a second ago, Derek, which was you said, and let's just say I'm right, and you you expanded. Well, let's just say we're wrong, right? Let's for a minute say that you know all of the numbers, which are generally strong in all of these categories here. Let's just say we're totally on the wrong side of this. Let's say there is a recession. Let's say uh, we don't have uh, the growth that we're talking about. Let's say earnings don't appreciate. Let's say that inflation really gets out of control and scares the bejesus out of the market, right? And really forces the Fed to get aggressive in, in cooling things down, right? Does it change the way that that you're going to invest your clients or that we're going to invest and manage our strategies, right? Is it is it going to matter all that much uh, in the approach you take to driving returns or at least investing for the goal of returns for your clients? Not, not at all. Yeah, I, I agree. Right. Thank, thanks for that long explanation. So when you say, not, <laughs> sorry, I'm taking no, no, this, I, your host's you know job over here. I was, I was, uh, I, I was muted, I think. So, uh, I, I <laughs> unmuted myself just to make sure I said something else, but, but, but keep, Keep uh, keep talking. Keep going. I'm on. sorry. I'm just I'm just teasing you a little bit. Yeah. So yeah. So the the point here that I'm making is while you know we are investing and we expect growth and and I think we're following a lot of trends. You know, while we don't you know mirror each other's uh, uh, predictions across the investment committee, they certainly do sound and smell the same for the most part. Um, a lot of this is uh, this is just it's conjecture, right? It's hey, look, we think there's a lot of you know, positive reasons to remain invested and not go to cash and not, you know, put the cash in your mattress, right? And so as we're, uh, uh, you know, positioning our portfolios, we always take that perspective, though, what if all of these things that I just uh, said, you know, or even one or two of them are just completely wrong and the exact opposite happens? I, I think we should plan for some of these to be completely wrong, right? There's no way we're going to get all of these things right. So does it, my question was, you know, that that maybe you could, dig a little deeper on this is why doesn't it matter to the way that you build your portfolios for your clients? Like what are the way that you should be investing in this kind of environment? Yeah. I mean, quick answer is in 1987, we had a, a market crash and we were down what, like 30% intra year and the market closed up. I think it was a couple percent for the year. 2020 had a drawdown of 37%. We ended the year, uh, 2020, on the S&P, we were up 18%, I think, from memory. You're right. And so, it was 18, yeah. And I think that's the most obvious answer is if you, I mean, the way we invest is having buffers or floors and, you know, a hedge in a portfolio. If you can allow people to sleep a little better at night and not make panicked decisions, the reality is a lot of years, the worst points in the year don't wind up being the end point. Even uh, 2008, I mean, we were down 55%. We ended the year down 37%. Guess what? That could that could happen again, up 37%. I have no idea it could happen again, right? But I think that's the main thing. And it, it's not timing. It doesn't change things. Because guess what? If we always just imagine we we entered and exited markets just because of we thought it was going to go up or down, how whipsawed we'd be, how much we'd miss out on. And we've talked about that date in the past. So that's the longer answer, Jay. Yeah, I, thanks, Derek, for that. And I would say those you know swings and uh, uh, whipsaws that, that will occur for sure are happening um, in a more compressed time period today than even say, I'll go back to 2009. Yes, there was a bunch of terrible days in 08 and 09, as we both remember. But uh, I, I think that the market, and this touches on the pandemic comment, the previous pandemic, is just faster today. Liquidity is a lot more dynamic. You've got uh, a generation, multiple generations that are obviously able to pull the trigger quickly uh, uh, and enter and exit positions You know, at, at the 
at the drop of a hat. And so, you know, I think that the technology that we have provides liquidity and takes it away just as quickly. And so, you know, I do think we see volatility, right? Volatility is not going away. We've got some predictions on volatility here. Um, you and I both end up, you know, in about the same range here of a, I've got a, you know, high of the VIX at 35, you come in at a, at a 40. For that to happen, you're going to have some shakeups in the market, right? To see those kinds of highs and lows, but staying invested over the long time, over the long term, being protected all makes a lot of sense regardless. And so if all of these predictions that we have are completely wrong, it doesn't really matter as much because you've got strategies that are designed to withstand this and not rely on you know traditional allocation models. By the way, Jay, I, I just saw this. You and I, you have a four percent uh, positive GDP. I have a two point nine percent. That's a difference of one point one. Our difference in inflation outlook is one point one. So remember, GDP is real GDP after inflation. So that's the difference in, in mine and yours forecast. I just realized that. That is, yeah, that's interesting. Hey, we're close. We're close. Yep. Right? We're, and we're consistent with each other. So that's great. Uh, yeah, VIX real quick. So yeah, I think I said it would be a high of 40. You said a high of 35. Mine is more that we're at a higher place anyway. We've been hovering around 20. So it's easier to get to 40 from 20 than it is to go from 11 to to 40. You know what I mean? Or 20 to 40 versus 11 to 40, uh, you know, like we were in 2017. So I mean, I don't know. Um, it, all it takes is one big little sell-off and, and we can see that. But I think both of us agree that the VIX for 2022 will be elevated relative to what we saw 2017, 2018, where it was really low for the year. Wouldn't you agree? Oh, yeah. No, no. The data is definitely clear that we have entered a new uh, period of higher volatility, right? The market goes through these periods of like three to four years of high vol and low vol. Um, you're right. 2017 was the low vol that we've seen uh, ever since anybody was tracking vol- uh, the VIX. But um, uh, but that wasn't the end of it, right? Up at all of you know, there was a little bit of a you know spike in 2018, but volatility was pretty low in 17, 18, and 19. Of course, in 2020, it changed, and it's probably kicked us into another you know three year period, three to four year period of higher volatility. And so, you know, we're going to be going into the third year of that higher elevated, uh, more elevated volatility. Uh, so, yeah, I think we just think it's the averages on in general will be higher. Uh, this year and possibly next year. Just and this is you know just trends, right? Have told us that you're in these periods of high and low volatility. Right now, it's it's pretty obvious that we're in a period of higher volatility on average. Jay, uh, so we've got oil, we've got Bitcoin and gold. Uh, oil, I think, and and we're talking about West Texas Intermediate. So the one you see on CNBC. I'm at 55. You're at 75. Um, I mean, I guess I'm I'm lower than we are right now. You're a little bit higher. You want to comment on this one, or the, yeah, the only one I'd say is you know a little inconsistency where your inflation is at five point one, but you're the lowest on oil, right? So you know you is so is inflation going to show itself in um, you know in the commodity space or not? You're saying no. I'm kind of saying yes, right? But you know if we have demand that's pushing the market higher, my thoughts, oil demand will also go up. This is one, I think, trying to put a pin in this and pick a number is, uh, I leave that for petroleum analyst. <laughs> I mean, but I, I just kind of looked at it as uh, uh, if we get any sort of uh, spike higher, you know, this is, demand will come back into the market. Um, I think either of us are likely to be right. I think either of us could be wildly wrong, but... Yeah, dart, dartboard for us on this one, right? Uh, is it legislation, right? Is it you know the 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 fewer wells you allow means it's harder to find more oil available, so does that push it higher? Or is it hey, we're really moving away, and EVs or electric vehicles are really going to take hold, and we're going to you know reduce demand in this country for oil, right? That's going to be an interesting year. That's the one I think we're probably well. It's not the one we're most far away. <laughs> Far away from each no, other. no. Let's save that one for last. But why don't you work on the gold next? On on gold, yeah. And by the way, with oil too, one of my thoughts was uh, politicians like to get reelected, and so I, I think the Biden administration will soften on some of the regulation on the oil industry, 
and they want more supply to come in because uh, a good way not to get reelected is really high gas prices. But gold, yeah, I was at 1700 um, right around where we are now, I think, right? Uh, I'll have to look it up. We're at 18, uh, I don't know. And this, I, it's eight, yeah. And, and you're, you're 1950. So you're a little higher, a little lower, but that. yeah, I don't know. I mean, I just feel like gold is lost. This is my opinion. Um, and it's probably wrong, but I, I think people have, are hedging inflation in different ways now and they're hedging the market in different ways. But I mean, yeah, I don't yeah, know. Yeah, I, I agree. Gold is not the inflation hedge that it used to be. If it was, we should be at 2,500 an ounce. Agreed. Right? But we're not, right? We were at all-time, not all-time highs. We were very high, recent highs when it comes to inflation. And gold is like, meh, I'm going to stay range-bound. Um, for me, it was actually uh, a demand-driven uh, improvement, right? I think if the economy's good, I think there's more you know, purchases of jewelry. I think there's, it's not so much of a hedge. I think it's actually more demand on goods made with gold. And I know there's not a lot of industrial or any industrials, uh, products that are made with gold. It's really more of a, a luxury, uh, uh, you know, item. So, you know, to me, higher, better economy, better growth, better inflation, it kind of pushes it up a little bit. You're on the, you're on the other side of this, by the way, the average, uh, was all over the place in the investment committee for this one, right? Our average, we came in at 1700 which is right but we've got you know people as low as 1500 right i ended up being the high water market 1900 so who knows you were and our last one jay is uh bitcoin i'm going to let you take this one but remember uh, those regular listeners will know that i'm a little more of the bitcoin skeptic uh, at least when we've uh, we've debated on air i've taken that position you've taken the other so uh what do you what are you seeing here cuz we are far apart Oh yeah, well, this is this is the one we are the most far apart, and I would say you're probably most far apart from everybody else in the investment committee. I'm at eighty five thousand by the end of next year. Uh, reason being is you know when you take a look back to 2014 and you look at how Bitcoin has had this volatile and extremely large run. If at any given time you took a look at you know a day the price of Bitcoin on any single day, and you look back, you know. 12 months. You look back exactly one year. If you looked at that you know, period, uh, the last seven years, half the time, Bitcoin is up by more than 100%. So you pick any day from 2015 to today, and you look back 12 months, Bitcoin is up a at least 100% half of the days that you look back. And so to me, it's, you know, it's, a, it's an asset that uh, I, maybe I'm going to get uh, uh, criticized for calling Bitcoin an asset. But it's uh, a token that has shown a propensity to grow over time, right? So that's where I am with it. Why don't you explain where you are, Derek? Yeah, I mean, I continue. I, I think the fact that Bitcoin has not done well in the near term as we've had higher and higher inflation is going to make some people question whether it's an actual inflation hedge. And, and neither, you and I both said it hasn't been long, you know, around the block long enough to really know if it is a, an inflation hedge. It wasn't around in the 70s, in the early 80s. So yeah, and the other thing I keep going back to, I feel like there's so many different coins that are being launched. It's uh, you know taking a little bit of, uh, I don't know, it, it's spreading it a little more thin in the crypto market. And I could be totally wrong. Uh, but I also think that there's going to be increased government regulation. You hear more about central banks, one on their own currency or so I don't know. I mean, I think there's Give so much number, bullishness man. on this. Oh, I was thirty-eight thousand. Yeah, so go. I'm thirty-eight. I'm I'm lower, but there. I just feel like there's so much bullish on this, and people who have been bullish have been right for a long time, and you can't be right for forever. So, but Jay, I have no idea, honestly. I just don't. <laughs> who <laughs> I mean, does? There's so many factors that could that could impact. Uh, that could impact uh, you know the price of any of the cryptos, right? It's it really is a uh, uh, you know it's a, it's anyone's guess, right? So much you could I could apply logic to each side of it. There's a lot of folks that still have yet to even dip their toe into Bitcoin because they don't understand what it even is. And you know what? That's okay. Then you don't have to be involved in it. But we just thought it's such a hot topic. You know, almost every interview that I've done, somebody wants to know our take on crypto. 
even though we don't do any crypto trading at Zega today. Uh, uh, it, it's just something, it's such a hot topic. Everybody wants to hear our opinion on it. So we thought, put it in our predictions. It would almost be, you know, remiss and deliberate for us not to include it. And I think everybody appreciates and enjoys that you and I are literally on opposite sides of the coin. <laughs> yeah. And we didn't mention NFTs, by the way. I, maybe I'll take the the raw recording of this, like the MP4 uh, or MP3, I forget what what it is, of you and I's podcast today and offer it up as an NFT and, and you know, auction it off for a million dollars. I am an NFT skeptic, but that's... Uh, that's for another time, I suppose. Um, yeah, let's leave the non-fungible tokens out of it for now. It's a whole. Other, I, I'm actually on the same page as you when it comes to NFTs, but it's a thing, Mike. But I also don't own a lot of fine art, so I'm just the wrong person to think about that. Yeah, maybe so. I think if we look at this, though, we look at our 2022. It's um, to kind of think about everything we said. Number one is neither of us see a recession, and. I, I'm not saying that we won't see one quarter that goes negative, but I don't I don't foresee, unless we did lockdowns again, that we would have a, a really negative recession. I, I, I imagine it's possible we'll have a, a slightly negative quarter. I don't think we'll get two in a row, though. Um, but yeah, I think you and I are both generally bullish. I think we're not, you know, the, the thing that's interesting is, even though we're different on rates, I'm 147, you're 2.5, and do your 10-year treasury. Guess what? If it's 2.5, that's still really low on a historical basis, Jay. I mean, that's, and our market is uh, sort of the average. We're a little bit boring here. We're both like, hey, we think it's going to go up about the average, right? So, right. yeah. Right. right. There you go. We're really going out on a limb here. Um, and so, uh, uh, you know, I, I, I'm sh- it'll be interesting to see which one of these is, you know, completely wrong. Right. And how it impacts the other ones on this list that we've just talked about. But you're right. Even at two and a half percent, you know, you're still probably less. You still probably have a negative uh, real rate, a negative real rate uh, uh, against inflation. So it's, you know, it doesn't really change our philosophy, philosophy about investing. I will say one other thing about it, and I haven't been asked this a few times, and so I'll bring it up. Um, you know, we are believers that in an inflationary in an inflationary environment, stocks tend to do better than most other asset classes. And I'm I'm going to include gold in there because when you could take a look at the return of equities, uh, and if they're driven by you know corporate earnings, historically speaking, stocks on a inflation adjusted basis have outperformed during periods of higher inflation. So we like them. Yeah, no, I, I agree there. And I think the data shows that. Uh, Professor Jeremy Siegel, uh, who wrote the book Stocks for the Long Run, he's got a chart in the, I don't think he's he's done an update since 2016. He ought to do a, a new one. But uh, he's got that chart, real returns. And I think he goes back to the early 1800s. You know, So he, he's going beyond like the Cowles data and, and what Ibbotson collected and all that stuff. But he basically shows that stocks, I think, over the long run, have a real return of something like five or six percent. That's after inflation. I'm doing this from memory, Jay. So if I'm wrong, you know, the viewers can uh, or listeners can send me emails. But when you look at gold, you look at the dollar, and you look at bonds, gold specifically has really over the long run a lousy after inflation return. So you're you're right. I mean, and the data is out there that stocks have have done quite well in inflationary periods. It's kind of interesting. Yep. Yep. That's what we think. And guess what? In order to, and then you pull some of the volatility out as we're projecting that, you know, the markets are going to have some, you know, we're in a period of higher volatility. So you do that by hedging and putting buffers in your portfolios. Like these are the way, you know, this is kind of the new way of investing and from our perspective, right? This is why, you know, we construct portfolios with options that allow us to define our risk. So, you know, while I'm not, I, gosh, I feel like I'm on a soapbox here. That wasn't my intention. But, you know, when you give predict- predictions, the, uh, you know, the natural next question is, okay, well, then how do you invest in that environment? And our answer is exactly the way we've been investing for the last decade at Zega Financial uh, and the way you've been managing your clients there. It's, you know, continue to be invested, but be, in it, be invested for the long term, but be hedged. I think that's a, that's a great place to, uh, to close, Jay. So this will be the last episode for everyone uh, for 2021. This will, uh, by the time you're listening to this, it will probably be December 26th or 27th. Uh, but this is, uh, and then you can 
you know, December of uh, 2022, you can re-listen to this one and see how bad we've done, how wrong we actually are. Uh, so Jay, thanks for uh, coming on and uh, hopefully we'll have you back for, uh, you know, maybe episode 150 or something. You, you seem to miss the round numbers though. That's that's all right. Congratulations on such a great year with the podcast, Eric. I've, uh, you've really, you've impressed us all. So keep up the great work. Just glad to be a part of it. Appreciate it, Jay. And uh, for everyone else, we'll uh, we'll talk to you in the new year. Bye.